So, which one of us is going to be the shopkeeper, and which one of us is going to get an address and try to purchase something in vain? I'm here at the local cheese shop, and I would like to purchase a brand new bird. What a conundrum. But we have nothing but cars for you. Oh no, I would like to purchase a car, but only if my whole family can perform their showtime act for you. I warn you, parts of it get off color. All right, I would enjoy such a performance very much. And they do. (laughs) Sketch writing made easy. Uh, I don't know if I'm keeping up on the current trends of sketch writing, but are shopkeeper sketches still still a thing? <laughs> no, I think no, I don't. Th- I don't think so. But there's a fantastic Michelin Web sketch where they're going to attempt to do a shopkeeper sketch, but they treat it as if it's one of those like house renovation shows. So they keep breaking it up into smaller parts and then recapping what just happened so they only can get two sentences before the narrator comes back in and, you know, so-and-so said, I'd like to buy a thing for my aunt, but will the shopkeeper have such a thing? Tune in next time. Previously (laughs) on the the shopkeeper's sketch, I'd like to buy a thing for my aunt. It's a fantastic dissection of that kind of sketch and also of that kind of horrible-to-watch TV show. Yes. And what's kind of nice is I think they would have snuck in, by the sound of it, a certain kind of reverence for shopkeeper sketches of old. Yeah. I mean, also, there's nothing even I, – I, I'm trying to remember if there's actually a punchline at the end of the shopkeeper sketch with, that has all this meta stuff going around it. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Or if it is, it's just the weakest possible sketch. But yeah, obviously, obviously they uh, they come to it from a situation of uh, – from a position of both – great fondness and also great exhaustion (laughs) yeah i think i think the only shopkeeper sketches that i've heard of up to now would be what you just told me and of that one episode of Stuart lee's comedy vehicle in which they're slipping around on produce doing a deliberately over-the-top shopkeeper sketch you know i think that actually um portlandia had uh, the put a bird on it sketch is 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 basically a shopkeeper sketch okay because it's the, the couple comes in to try to buy something and then everything has a bird on it and it just escalates from there yeah 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 but you know there you go going to portlandia for your cutting edge humor <laughs> <laughs> never a wise choice <laughs> uh, i mean i like kyle mclaughlin as the must of the next guy but come on I've sat through far too much because I enjoy his presence. <laughs> and besides, there's no way that Portlandia is funnier than Showgirls. Is it funnier than Showgirls will be this podcast's Is It Better Than The Martian? I think everything would lose that. Nothing is funnier than Showgirls. <laughs> Maybe. Nothing has slow motion french fries except Showgirls, which is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. It's a fun time. It's good for the whole family. It's a five-star film. <laughs> Have you ever written a shopkeeper sketch? Uh, no, I've, I've I've written a I wrote a door-to-door salesman sketch in a sense. Okay. Um, there was a sketch that I wrote where 
a man and his wife are just sitting down trying to figure out what to have for a party when the wife takes off her wig and an elaborate facial mask. And she has been a salesman for the last five years of marriage and previous two years of courtship. And this has been a long game to sell hot sauce. Mm. That is the closest I have come. (laughs) I guess traveling salesman sketches are different from shopkeeper sketches. (laughs) <laughs> but but both both I think equally antiquated. If anything, the shopkeeper sketch makes more sense because we have the shop still exists. I mean, who buys things from a door to door salesman? What about have there been any good e commerce sketches? Uh very likely in the form of like a commercial parody, like commercial parodies of like Amazon and stuff. The commercial parody is just like the easiest format to figure out, and then it's just fun to exploit this great structure. Like commercials are so po-faced in the way that they're constructed anyway. Like they're so though even the ones that are funny are easy to mock, the ones that are trying to be funny. Like it's it's a it's a gold mine because it, it, it hasn't really changed significantly over the last fifty years. Well, and everybody hates everybody hates ads. So you know, you want to see them made fun of. That's why this episode is brought to you by Casper. <laughs> My favorite ghost comic. When I was a kid, I attempted to talk some friends into starting a sketch comedy group with me. Attempted does not make this sound successful. Well, they said yes. And then I went home and I wrote a bunch of... It was actually going to be a TV show. Hmm. Ambitious. Well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, cast your mind back. This was not a time when you could just have a YouTube show. Right, right. Or film things on your phone. So this would have involved public access television. <laughs> uh, because that was the YouTube of of the 80s. And it seemed possible to just go, show up and do things. I never actually tried. But it was there and it seemed like, a, it's, it seemed like something that would be foolish not to try. If they're just going to let you have some cameras and film a show and put it on TV for free while you'd be a fool not to try. (laughs) So I, so I went home from meeting up with these friends and saying, let's do this thing. Let's do a sketch comedy TV show. And I wrote a few episodes before I had the chance of seeing them next. And I'm not saying that even then that I thought these episodes were brilliant or finished or whatever. But it was something, you know, I thought I'd bring them back and then we'd all share what we'd done and we'd hash out, you know, something better. Um, but of course, nobody else had done anything. So uh, <laughs> that that whole idea just kind of withered on the vine. And also because this was a long time ago and because uh, the sketches were written into a word processor with a file format and a disk structure that I, you know, don't have any access to anymore. I don't have copies of those scripts hanging around on my Dropbox or anything. So who knows what what hilarity I was trying to get up to when I was 15, 16. Oh, I was secretly hoping you had a floppy disk that was just labeled Judge Ito Bits. <laughs> uh, the only thing I can remember was that one episode was going to be a high concept episode. Hmm. And it was just going to consist of two people shouting at each other for half an hour. One of them just shouting yes, and the other one shouting no but doing it in a way that would take them through all sorts of different settings and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can imagine it. Two people just having this argument about nothing in particular for 30 minutes. 
going here and there and everywhere in all sorts of different crazy contexts. Are they being moved solely through the magic of the camera or is there essentially like, is it being done essentially as live, like theatrically so that people are stagehands are moving the sets around them. So we're watching it get like built and destroyed over and over again. I was imagining that it would be through the magic of editing, but that they would, you know, leave, leave one room and then you'd catch up with them in a restaurant or catch up with them on the subway or catch up with them at the zoo or catch up with them wherever else. Mm -hmm. It would, but there would kind of be a little bit of like, fluid I, I think I would have aspired to a fluidity of fake cuts where their characters leaving the door and then you 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 cut to them going through a door at a mall or whatever right okay I, I can tell from the way that you you haven't stopped laughing at, <laughs> at imagining the possibility of what a successful episode that would have been obviously it's all in the execution right so yes and I, I assume you had enough spicy exotic locales for 30 whole minutes well we were in New York so. I d- it really depended on how portable the public access TV cameras were. But, but since I never actually went down to the public access TV station to try to sign up to use them, I have no idea if they were actually mostly stuck. In, they must have had some that you could take out to the field. I don't know. Did you suspect that your friends were going to be helpful and you were surprised? Or was it no surprise that no one had done anything? <laughs> A little of both. I did like they, they were enthusiastic about it and I so I took that to be a sign that they were enthusiastic about it. But then uh when they didn't, you know, uh, people are just uh, little bundles of disappointment, right? <laughs> that's that's kind of the definition of what a person is. So I was a little sad, but I don't know if I was surprised that they didn't actually follow through on on my brilliant plan. Also, like, fair enough, it was a ridiculous idea, but it would have been fun. Yeah, I mean, why not take advantage? You know, that's that's why I'm I'm gobsmacked that nobody did anything. Well, also none of them were they were actors, mm. not necessarily writers. These these friends of mine. But don't actors all, always come to writers with funny ideas that they want to try out? That would have been interesting if they just said, "Oh, we should do this," and then just waited for me to write it. Like that, that probably would have worked. I probably would have done it. But it turned out that they had other had other things to do with their lives, I guess. They had other friends. People wrote whole plays for them instead of stuff they had to come up with themselves? Well, I think they were still working through the repertory at that point. Also, it wasn't like they were comedic actors. I mean, they were more like, yeah, they were teens. They were like musical theater type things. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't go see them perform. You just thought instinctually, it's like, these are the ones for me. Well, I only knew so many people. (laughs) I didn't put out a casting call. I was 15. I just went to the handful of friends I had and said, here's a fun project we could do together. It, it, I was wrong. What can I say? I was wrong. Yeah. Forming a sketch troupe and like, actually, like everyone wants to do sketch comedy. I think if, if they're like even slightly interested in producing their own work or acting in their own work. But like actually getting people to do it is a totally different story. (laughs) Yeah. Did you, well, did you try to wrangle together a sketch comedy group at some point? Uh, Yes. Once I had done the wrangling or co-wrangled and prior to that, I was wrangled in other people's sketch groups. So I would always get excited and be like, yay, finally a sketch group. And I didn't have to wrangle. Good. Uh, 
And then the whole thing would fall apart for one reason or other. Like when I was a stand-up in Newfoundland, there were a few there was a few people yeah, there was at least one person who wanted to mastermind a sketch comedy group and like actually had meetings. That because everyone talks about doing sketch comedy, but it never gets to the meeting stage. So when you have a meeting, you get real excited. <laughs> and no one could agree on what a good sketch could be. Hmm. And so it was – that was the downside of having a bunch of comedians in a room, a couple of whom, myself included, had like acting experience. So we'd done stage comedy in addition to just traditional stand-up. But that's not who was driving this. <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of fell on its face. Like no one could agree on anything and it, it fell apart. After that, I was brought into an existing sketch comedy troupe that was exclusively doing things on video. But because they were pre-existing and because I was new, this was after I moved to Ontario, I would always get this good cop, bad cop routine about whether or not I was even in the group (laughs) because there would be two other guys and, and it was primarily two other guys. And so one guy would be like, I really want you to be in this. And I'm excited because like I wrote like I did the first thing uh, I thought I would do where I was like, are we are we all collaborating? Are we all in the group? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we're all more or less in the group was the weird response I got back. I got to writing sketches and I was excited. And sure enough, it'd be like, oh, man, I want you in the group. I absolutely love what you're writing. But uh this other guy, he has different ideas, and I don't know if we're going to be doing written sketches anymore. I think he wants to do more of an improv thing, and I don't know. I'm like you. I'm a writer. And then I'd hear like, oh, I really like the written sketches that you're bringing to my otherwise improv-focused group. But the other guy, he sees himself as the writer doesn't want you here. And I, So I would just get this constant, he said, other he said, about whether or not I was in the damn thing. So I did like a few YouTube videos with them and a couple of live shows. But for the most part, it was a, it was an extremely thankless task in which I was never sure if I was in the damn sketch group or not. Wow. Yeah, I found out I more or less wasn't because after about six months of doing it, I was doing a stand-up set. And then I found out that I was going to close with an evening of sketches. And I was like, hey, guys, what sketches are we going to do? It'd be like, oh, you're not you're not in this one. Uh, that that is the uh, you know quote unquote pro uh, sketch group experience I had later myself and another writer friend we wrangled some people together because we were all trying out you know this kind of friendly improv space for just trying stuff out there was like a, a fun kind of Monday night Sunday night uh, improv workshop and so a lot of us wrote and all of us had an interest in sketch comedy and some people approached it very much from a love of sketch and some people approached it very much of a love of improv and it was interesting we spent like a little while developing sketches and people had their strengths and weaknesses and one thing that was decided i think kind of unfortunately is that rather than going with like the funniest sketches we made sure that whoever was still with the group after the lengthy writing and revising and booking a stage once once all of that was done whoever was still with the group at that point got a sketch in <laughs> <laughs> and democracy is great, but it doesn't always make for good comedy. I was really, I was really polling for it. it's like we should throw these sketches away and use, you know, so and so and so and so who don't want to act but do want to write, and just because they don't want to appear on stage, they're still useful to us. Was my ultimately failed argument. <laughs> 
that makes sense to me that you would you would be happy to have writers who don't want to because what actor wants to share the stage with somebody exactly so yeah have writers that's great and then eventually you don't necessarily want to do this right at first but eventually you can you can pay the writers less because they're not on stage and they only did the thing once, whereas you're doing it every week. That's true. And you could also, you know, say it's like, you're not what they're coming in for. They're coming in for these beautiful faces. Exactly. Exactly. We're the ones on the cover of non-existent zine weekly. (laughs) Well, you know, once again, I'm surprised at the high level of professionalism amongst the comedy world. Who would have guessed? Who knew? Um, did you want to be a stand-up or a sketch comedy person first? Uh, I think that if I wanted to do something, oh, that's tough. I think that when I was a kid, I wanted to be in stand-up. And then by the time I got to being a teenager, uh, since we couldn't – since there was no stand-up in Newfoundland and – the sketch comedy that I saw that was coming out of Newfoundland, I was not crazy about. Myself and uh, myself and my friends would just make comics. And I was the equivalent of the writer there because I loved coming up with stuff, but I could, and still uh, this is the case, I could barely draw. Like my friends could, my friends all had varying skill levels, but were all competent, some even very good. And I drew like a child who had been struck by lightning. Yeah, well, yeah, but that was in at the time. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I I think even like the the mucky stuff of the '90s looks a lot better than what I can draw now. Mm. But that that was my solution then. It was like, well, me and my friends in high school, we're going to make comics, and then we would get a hold of someone's camera and we would make a movie. Um, and so we would make such films as as there was a, a film I did called Master of Suspense, which involved uh, uh, walking in and tossing a marshmallow peep to a wall. And when the uh, when the person turned who I who I did that in front of turned around confused, I said a ghost did it. I believe that's how that went. There was a film. There was an entire trilogy called The Day It Rained Waffles, which was alternately oh. about yes, alternately about waffles that had a life of their own and could saw through people like flying blades, or later it became that people were smuggling in frozen waffles as though they were drugs. Huh. Yeah, it, it was it was it, the series got rebooted halfway through the second movie, so I think it was a hybrid of both in the Day It Rained Waffles trilogy. I have to say, neither of those neither of those concepts, while they are perfectly fine concepts, neither of them live up to the title. No, I don't think I don't think if you sat down and watched the Day It Rained Waffles, you'd be all that impressed. <laughs> Except for one amazing scene that I will never forget, which is where we lost an actor for the day. So uh, and and we had to redub a line, and of course we didn't have ADR. We were using a camera and VHSs to edit these scenes together. So you switch from a man with a very deep voice to a man with a slightly higher pitched, somewhat more reedy voice, uh, resulting in the sentence: "You're telling me this was President's choice," <laughs> and that's the best moment in the entire trilogy. 
that yeah, that's good. That is that's that's good. But I still want waffles to rain down. I like I'm just picturing the scene where you step outside and just the waffles are falling from the sky. That's that's what I'm coming for. That that happened at the end. There was a character in the first some would say best film because it had the aforementioned dub in it, uh, in which the uh, main villain, who may or may not have been called the Waffle Warlord, uh, it does rain waffles down upon him, which somehow is his defeat. I just remember hurling at the poor actor who was playing this part, hurling a wet, barely cooked waffle at him mm. and just getting him square in the face. Nice. <laughs> and... Because, again, this was not the most professional shoot. You can hear me laughing kind of in different stages of a long howl. (laughs) So when it first happened and you first get that wet splat, I just explode. But in later scenes where he's supposed to be writhing on the ground and gets pelted with waffles, you can still hear me laughing. (laughs) 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 I I feel like when I was a, a little kid, before I really knew of stand up, and before I knew of sketch comedy, I wanted to be on a sitcom because that was the source of humor. And I, like many people, thought, oh, my family could totally be in a sitcom. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Which maybe. Uh, but I feel like I discovered stand up and sketch comedy at about the same time. And sketch comedy seemed more exciting as a thing to do, partially because the sketch comedy that I discovered first, as many as is true for many, many people, was, that it was um, it was Monty Python, of course, uh, followed shortly afterwards by Kids in the Hall, yeah, um, followed by a few other things, but like it was those two, and they both felt so like they both felt like they were they both felt like they were doing such radical things with what TV could be. With Monty Python, it was a lot of, you know, very formal things. Like, you don't have to end a sketch. You don't have to. You can you can cut to the announcer as if there's another show going on. You can put the credits anywhere you want in the show. Like, all of these things, it just, ex- there were explosions of possibility, and that got me really excited. Of course, what I didn't realize at the time was, of course, they had all been done then. <laughs> yeah. And it would be very hard to find new things like that that you could do. Uh, not that there were none of them, but that, you know, quite a lot. Python had exhausted quite a lot of the things that you didn't realize you could do on TV. And then, of course, with Kids in the Hall, it was just how many gay characters there seemed to be, which was quite, quite different from TV. Like, it was really uh, astonishing and amazing. And that just seemed like a, a, another space that... Uh, that that I just wanted to be a part of, whereas you know there weren't as many, there weren't as many, or I didn't know the standups that I knew about weren't doing that kind of formally exciting stuff, and weren't doing, weren't pushing the edge politically in the in the same way. Now it might be different. I mean, I would say I would say that's probably true now, but stand up at the time at the time of Kids in the Hall, I think because there was still like there was still like the ashes of the comedy boom, like. That that had ended, but there was still like people holding out hope that it would somehow continue, and you could still get a fair bit of TV work, if not as much, say, club work. That everything was kind of 
so squeaky clean and sanitized that you weren't seeing a lot of that. I think if that existed, and I'm sure it did, it's like it was minor and it existed only in clubs. But you do get the alternative comedy boom of like the later 90s of say mid to late 90s kind of coming into that. Oh, sure. When do you, when do you think the comedy boom of the 80s ended? I'd say the comedy boom of the 80s ended. I, I wouldn't I can't think of the exact date, but to me that starts to dry up around I guess this makes it a bit of a misnomer, but it starts to dry up around the early 90s, like around 91, 92. Right. Okay. So when I was watching Kids in the Hall, it was still happening. And like when I was being introduced to stand up, it was still happening because this would have been around 1990. Yeah. Yeah. So, 19, late, late 80s, like whenever, whenever the comedy, well, whenever the, the channels that would eventually become Comedy Central came on the air, that was how I got introduced to a lot of this. And that's, I still, I think of that as very much part of the comedy boom. Yeah. Yeah. Kids in the Hall would be doing something. I mean, it's still pretty revolutionary even now, but <laughs> sure. But at the time, it just would have been downright shocking in comparison to what you were normally seeing on TV. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that there were all sorts of interesting stand-up comedians working in the late 80s, early 90s, but they weren't getting they they weren't getting on TV as much, I guess, or at least they weren't getting on TV doing the things that made them interesting. Yeah. Or they were doing it in a way that maybe I didn't have a context for understanding why. I don't know the comedy of sort of brutal honesty <laughs> that that started rearing its head around then. Uh-huh. Like that doesn't immediately seem as revolutionary as it actually might have been in the context of the comedy the comedy scene in the eighties. It may not have felt like the breath of fresh air. To somebody who didn't go into it assuming that uh, that that was a thing you couldn't do, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of that came out of, and this is just me spitballing here, I think a lot of that came out of the fact that with the comedy boom of the 80s, the fact that everybody had an act right. was so easily – like stuck into audiences heads like i think that audiences were now savvy to the fact that oh comedians aren't just like these wacky individuals they have an act that they work on and the things they do are exaggerated and admittedly you get you know in the 80s people who are even parodying that idea like bobcat goldthwaite uh or or were doing something kind of strange and interesting with their act like uh, Stephen wright nemo phillips but or judy tenuta sure I still think it's a it's a huge huge failing on the part on the part of the show Fish Police that they did not cast her in a role Judy Detuna. That's brilliant. The joke writes itself. Get at me, Fish Police. I think it's a failure of every TV show that didn't hire Judy Tenuta to not hire her. R.I.P. Stephen Bochco. Um, but I, I think the the idea is like, oh, this is the real thing. You're getting a person, and you're getting as honest a stand-up as possible, which, of course, was just another persona for most, if not all, of the people doing that. You know, if you watch someone like, say, Dennis Leary, who is one of the, you know, I'm going to speak my mind type comics, you know, he's every bit as artificial and zany and creating a persona as, I don't know, Emo Phillips or uh, any other comic you could name. Yeah. So I just happened, I was just Googling Kids in the Hall, just to uh, to make sure I wasn't crazy about when when the show first aired, uh, which I wasn't. Uh, thank goodness. And yeah, it was like eighty eight, eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, uh, eighty eight. The uh, October eighty eight is when it first aired. So, um, 
But so Google has its little sidebar about it. And at the bottom of the sidebar, there's a little, little thing you can click on. It says, do you manage the online presence for the kids in the hall? I think a job has just opened up. Uh, I'm clicking on it. It wants me to verify my Googliness, verify my identity. Huh. And then I can post things as kids in the hall on, on Google. Oh, uh, that, that's too much responsibility. Um, the other sketch comedy source that I actually did watch as a kid, even before discovering Python and at all was Saturday night live. Mm-hmm. Does, does that even count as a sketch comedy show? I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think it breaks any of the rules. I think it's always been a cozy sketch comedy show. It's not, it's just not one that I would ever think of when I, when I think of sketch comedy shows, like I realized halfway in the middle of this conversation that in all this sort of mental thinking about sketch comedy that I did before we started recording Saturday Night Live didn't come up once. (laughs) I'm just, maybe, maybe that's just me, but. Well, I think like SNL exists and is vital when, when and only when you think of it as vital, which is when you are a, a teenager. And then it promptly seems kind of safe and pat for the rest of your life. I suppose so. It feels like it's its own thing, right? Like it feels like its own genre of of doing comedy. What just mugging in place of punchlines? Yeah, maybe. Just getting I don't know. One of Saturday Night Live's big moves is the same move that I always criticize Portlandia for doing, which surprise, surprise, is a you know, spin-off, so to speak. But um of just taking a premise and then repeating it and repeating it louder and louder. That's one of the things I liked about Kids in the Hall is that whenever they brought back a character, it was always a different kind of sketch. Like not everyone – say what you will about the chicken lady, Chris. But not everyone went on a blind date with the chicken lady as in that first sketch with Dave Foley. There's her going back to visit her parents' house. There's her relationship with her best friend, the bearded lady. Yeah. You know, they really really explored the psychological depths of that character. And you know what? The same could be true of uh, same could be said of the police characters. Those weren't necessarily the same sketches over and over again. And that's and and or, or the uh, AT and Love people and the temp that works there, uh, or those great sketches with Scott Thompson as the mustachioed doofus and Dave Foley as his balding boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were all terrific recurring characters, uh, and. I, I think that's something that you don't, I guess, have to face when you're creating 30 minutes of comedy a week versus a 90-minute variety show, because who does variety shows anymore? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Although although Saturday Night Live has way more writers than the kids in the hall did. Sure. I just think that, 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 that time is a factor. And a lot of the interesting sketches, of course, are, are deemed like too weird, which is why not only is there a too weird for the rest of the show slot, but there is also the uh, the sketches that just they just plain only film for dress rehearsals and then leave out of the show proper. And those are usually better than what's in the show. I wonder if we ever will get to explore the psychological depths of the church lady. One day. I mean, Dana Carvey's still kicking. <laughs> No matter how tightly you tie him up, he's still kicking. Anything else you want to say about your sketch writing, about sketch comedy? Uh, Well, I mean, one thing I would say is that I loved it. I much preferred 
sketch comedy to, to stand up, I think, like looking back on it in hindsight, just because it felt like you could do anything. Whereas with stand up, you were kind of stuck with what can I do as me that I can clearly communicate? And I know that some stand ups almost approach stand up like sketch comedy and they can do that. I could just never, I could never incorporate the skills for one into the other. They were separate to me. So I was probably better at writing sketches probably, or at least uh, they, they were a lot more free and fun to write. Unfortunately, due to the way things worked out in the sketch uh, group, I would often have to appear in my own sketches, which is not something I ever wanted to do. I just wanted actors. I don't know if you ever felt this way, Chris, but I just wanted actors to do the lines. However, I did not want them to fiddle with the lines in any way. I wanted them to do them exactly the way I wanted them to be done. Huh. But, but, but I did not want to do them myself with my own inflection. I wanted them to perfect my weird comedic inflection uh, as written. I was always very, very, very pleased when people would cover my songs. Mm -hmm. And I didn't particularly care if they fiddled with them or not. Of the handful of people who covered my songs, nobody ever fiddled with them in a way that upset me, certainly. The difference there is your song still existed if someone fiddled with it, as opposed to this might be the only time that someone sees it. Sure. Um, um, that's true, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, but I was always interested in, in what they would end up doing with it. I mean, and obviously songs are a bit more malleable or there's a better, uh, stronger tradition of, of tweaking them and, and, and wringing new ideas out of old songs. Whereas even when people cover, so to speak, sketches, um, it's not quite the same thing you don't usually get like a a radically different take that is satisfying. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't think of any. Maybe there are some out there. Yeah, it, it's it's seldom it's seldom been done uh you know outside of like people doing revivals of stage shows, you know. I mean, if someone decided to put on a night of Monty Python sketches, you'd say why? It's on Netflix. <laughs> I can see the pros do it. Yeah, I'm thinking I was thinking of the um the four Yorkshireman sketch. Right, which has been done by many people many times, but that's that is like a, the sketch that you do if you're going to cover a sketch if you're coming out of a UK context, I guess. I'm reading the Wikipedia article on the Four Yorkshireman sketch in the mid 1990s. The Hungarian comedy group, I'm not going to try to pronounce the Hungarian name, translated and performed an adapted version of the sketch, substituting four millionaires for the Yorkshiremen. The sketch had a particular resonance for older Hungarians, as exaggerating the level of your family's poverty and proletarian origins was a common practice to gain favor with the communist authorities in the immediate post-war period through the 50s. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good reuse of that sketch. That is, that is a good cover version. I suppose. What I found, and I think this is the influence of SNL, is what, why I, I would always – I'd always give a note – to to actors if i thought they were straying from it which was don't play funny oh yeah that's how i would want and, and that's what i find that like snl does which is why like i'm allergic to the comedy stylings of a lot of people who come out of snl because they always play broad and funny and i hate it mm. um and i think improv encourages that weirdly enough because uh, that's how we all met but it's like that's something i really dislike um it, it, it seems to 
it seems to feed to an actor's ego. A lot of improv does. And that's no good for comedy. It's supposed to feed into the writer's ego. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think definitely if there's one thing that uh, we've advocated on this podcast, it is the importance of not being funny. You're Not Funny is brought to you by Megaphonic FM. Go to megaphonic.fm and check out all our fancy little podcasts, none of which are poisonous. So today's topic is sketchy sketch comedies, and so I'm going to tell the joke first. Does that work for you? Yes, that more than works for me. <clears throat> so I actually have three jokes for you. They're all the same joke. You're going to have to tell me afterwards which one. I mean, they're all terrible, but okay. you can tell me afterwards which one, which one was the least or most. I don't know. You just tell me afterwards how much it hurt. I went to the museum the other day, and they were showing a bunch of pencil drawings by Leonardo da Vinci. Well, they said they were pencil drawings by Leonardo da Vinci. I don't know. They were all kind of sketchy. I went to a comedy club the other night, and I saw some people perform a few little comedy scenes. Well, they said they were little comedy scenes. I don't know. They were all kind of sketchy. I was consulting the thesaurus the other day, looking up synonyms for perfunctory. Well, it said they were all synonyms for perfunctory. I don't know. They were all kind of sketchy. There you go. Disaster has struck. Okay. You died. <laughs> I died. But I went to heaven. And I come I come from heaven bearing a sketch. This is a sketch that I wrote for my sketch group. It is called Cat Scales. <clears throat> there is a montage of cats sleeping. No music. Warm text envelops the screen. Cat safety. We cut to a host in what is obviously their living room. Welcome to Cat Safety. I'm your host, Cat Safely. The name Cat Safely, K-A-T-S-A-F-E-L-Y, shows up on the screen in a blink-or-you'll-miss-it moment. And I'd like you to meet my newest pet, Peeves. Camera pans down to a cat licking itself. It pans back to cat abruptly. We barely register the sight of Peeves. Everybody loves their cat, but few put the time and care into their pets that they wouldn't to the other things they love. If you love something, you gotta keep it safe. You got a boy at home? Don't take him to school. That's where the germs are. Keep him under your bed. Now cats, unlike boys, are resourceful. So here's a few quick tips to keep your cat safe. First, you gotta spay and neuter your pet. Most places say spay or neuter, but I insist on paying for both just to be sure. Second, you must train your cat. Life's full of dangers. Wherever cats are grown must be a danger-free zone because my little dummies are always getting into trouble like they've never been held up at a 7-Eleven before. So you gotta keep your cat secure. If it's an indoor cat, seal off the doors and windows with a plastic barrier, something a human being could easily walk through but might confuse a cat. If it's an outdoor cat, follow the old saying, the best defense is a good defense. Arm your cat. Cat lifts peeves into frame. As you can see, I've taped a hammer and Walter PPK to Peeves here. Peeves groans, presumably out of back pain. Cat. Hey, you want to go out in the yard? You gotta be dressed appropriate. She puts Peeves down, and we go into a parking garage. Cat comes into frame. Third, if you get a cat for a friend, be sure to do it with style. There's a right way and a wrong way to do this. You've got to keep your friend guessing. I've decided to give a sphinx kitten to my friend Shanks. But I'm not just going to present her with a new cat. No, I've got the cat in a pet carrier. 
The pet carrier is then perfectly wrapped like a Christmas present. I then place the carrier into my minivan, which I've left in this parking garage. The van is then wrapped like a Christmas present. For an extra treat, be sure to fill your minivan with packing peanuts so as not to spoil the surprise. Cut to Cat in a Backyard. There are faint sounds of a toy train in the background. Fourthly, people might try to take your cat away. How can they be so cruel? Your cat is yours and no one can take it away from you, even death. So if you feel like your little meowser set sail with Chiron across the river Styx, don't give up. You just got to get creative. That's what I did when my little Wooster here got sick. I just got creative with taxiderm. Here he comes now. We pan down to tracks covering Cat's backyard. We see Wooster, a taxidermied ex-cat, whose eyes are now plastic googly eyes. And he's coming on the tracks like a toy train, tiny wheels attached to its paws. Cat waves to her. Cat. There's a good boy. Now, before I go, I should remind you that Wooster is a part of my first YouTube period drama series about a wealthy dumb cat who gets into scrapes with his infinitely smarter cat butler. It's tentatively titled Peeves and Wooster. Also, be sure to check out my cousin's video series on how to keep safe as a man. Cut to a man who looks eerily similar to our host, except he's holding a gun and a hammer in each hand. Hi, welcome to Man Safety. I'm your host, Man Shapely. I mean, safely. Back to Cat in her living room. I hope you enjoyed that little bloop from my main man, Man. Now let's recap today's tips. Tip one, spay and neuter your cat. I'm tired of repeating this one. Never again. Tip two, arm that cat. Tip three, if you're going to give a cat away, put it in a van. Tip four, death is not the end. And before we go, I've received a letter from one of my viewers. I'm holding a contest so as one of you can come up with a slogan for the show. Cat opens an envelope and reads the letter. This one's from Bill in Gander. Oh, that's far away, isn't it? He writes, the slogan should be, keep cat and have fun. Cat pauses thinks. No reaction to what she just read. Beat. I think that could video cuts abruptly to a Windows Movie Maker text screen with big, bold, white Comic Sans text against a blue background that reads, keep cat and have fun. The end. So I'm curious. The Walther PPK. (laughs) (laughs) Is that just a gun that you keep in your back pocket, so to speak, as, as a gun reference to throw out there. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely like it's 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 a I, I I understood from context that it was a gun, but it's not one that I that I would have. Uh, it's not a Colt forty five or whatever. It's mm-hmm. not one that I not one that I have quick to my tongue. You're just looking for something more exotic than gun. What I'm asking is why you know about that gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's just it. You just find it. You find that name. Uh, I believe it's James Bond who famously has a Walter PBK. Oh, maybe. Maybe. But yeah, specificity. That was what I thought would be better than just gun. You don't want to have just gun there. That's no fun. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm, I'm still trying to think if there were any of any guns that might have a, uh, a good cat pun attached to them. But Cat 45 is the best I can think of. Yeah, that would have been. You could have done that. It brings up another. It brings up another topic we could have touched upon, which is: uh, Do people do people write sketch comedy in order to come up with terrible pun names? The answer is obviously yes. Yeah, I think so. I think that's. I think that's why most people get into the biz. Now, I would say 
in regards to to your joke jokes there, the best of <laughs> oh, which that's, that's a very generous noun to use yeah. to describe them. <laughs> well, the, the the best of which was the first one, just because I I do like the idea of being like there's there's that underlying bit of just being unimpressed with picasso which i like da vinci yes or da vinci yes i had already forgotten i'm sorry i had to say a large amount of text on a very hot day it it, uh it was based on a true story in that i once went to a museum that had a bunch of Leonardo da vinci sketches (laughs) i was hoping it would just end there it's based on a true story that i once went to a museum maybe i don't know i don't know how i feel about that thing that i wrote like two minutes before we started recording. I'm not proud of it. That's okay. I feel pretty good about what I wrote three years ago. <laughs> I it would, it would be fun to direct. That's mostly what I was doing. Oh, just imagining it and how you would shoot it? Yeah, I was imagining, especially when you described that first sort of quick pan and then, and then panning back up before you've barely even registered the cat i i i i, I just I, I sort of stopped listening for a moment as i was sort of blocking that scene and planning mm-hmm. it all out and i was like yeah that would be that's a good visual joke to to, to try to get just right but then I, then then you got to the cat train part and i thought ugh, ugh, the budget for these props i know it's Cut a the sketch. nightmare of special effects <laughs> we have a ten dollar budget for this tv show most of that's going to pizza afterwards don't you want at least one episode? Sorry, don't you want at least every episode to have at least one nightmarish moment? Yeah, sure, absolutely. If I'm watching it, if I'm filming it, I don't want, it, I don't want the logistical nightmare to happen. Like uh, you know, so uh, used to. I, I have made some videos that were mildly humorous uh, about bodybuilding uh, with my husband, who you know has an interest in that. And so some of them required some fairly elaborate props to be made. And it was just like, oh, my word, making this, like, just figuring out some of the tech of, like, how do you attach googly eyes to a broccoli? So already what you're saying is that you're prepped to direct this sketch because you already have googly eyes experience and you're ready for something new and bigger and bolder. Yeah, I have dealt with putting googly eyes. Sorry, so we had googly eyes on a little piece of, like, cardboard with a printout taped to it. That was easy. You just glue it on. It's fine. It's no problem. Then you've got, then we had um, googly eyes attached to a broccoli, which was trickier to figure out how you get those on because you couldn't just use glue and it, it just doesn't adhere very well to the broccoli surface. So we had to basically uh, glue on or tape on, I forget, or both um, some like thumbtacks to the back of the googly eyes and then plunge them into the broccoli and that and that got them on pretty well so i was very happy with my craftsy solution for that and the final one was that we had made a miniature dumbbell out of um out of some styrofoam balls that were painted black which itself was a huge thing to do and also styrofoam balls it turns out are not not cheap (laughs) Um, so we had this massive already very expensive prop and then it turns out like how do you get googly eyes to attach to styrofoam it's actually kind of weird and tricky because i think the glue and the styrofoam didn't react like the hot glue sort of melted the styrofoam a bit in a way that wasn't very good uh anyway we eventually solved that but then how do you animate how do you make it into a puppet without using strings it was tricky but we did it I i was very happy with that I guess I've I guess I've directed something akin to a sketch comedy show at some point. See, it's all easy peasy now. The whole premise of this show is a lie. I've done comedy. None of it was funny. 
<laughs> well, that's the thought that counts with comedy. <laughs>